Hi, everybody. You are listening to the Encounter Mercy podcast. We are glad you're here. Uh, we have here today uh, myself, Deacon AJ, uh, Father Andy, and we have Jesse. How is everybody today on this uh, Easter Wednesday? You know, it's just crazy to hear you say that, Deacon AJ. Like, that's exciting. It, it, it's it's weird introducing myself like that, or if, like other seminarians here call me that. I'm like, I don't like it. Like, just call me AJ. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're going to have to get used to it. I'll never forget when I first was um, Father Andy and uh, someone was shouting, Father, Father. And I, I just, I wasn't paying any attention. And then That's they finally me. get up to me out of breath. And he's like, Father, I was trying to talk to you. I'm like, oh, you mean me? And they said, what? You're trying to be funny. I'm like, no, legitimately, I didn't realize you were talking to me. So it's exciting. For those who can't see a deacon AJ, but he has a halo over his head now. That he's- <laughs> it's very it's bright. Like the I'll, I'll just say it's very dim right now. <laughs> oh, well, I don't know, man. I don't know. Those ordination graces, it's only been just about two week and a half. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. It was that, that this was like the longest week of my life because uh, the day before Palm Sunday, I'm ordained a, a deacon. And then uh, Palm Sunday preached two masses at my home parish. And then for everything else, I was with the bishop um, at our cathedral. So it was really cool going from being very nervous about assisting at liturgy to then kind of getting good at it because, um, you know, the bishop, bishop is pretty consistent. Um, uh, he, he's a great MC, uh, his priest, priest assistant. And then you just kind of get used to the flow of things. So it was weird on after the vigil thinking like, oh man, it's only been a week since my ordination. Like, it might as well be six months because yeah. you know, now I'm just more comfortable. Uh, it's not like super awkward getting vested, like, you know, with the amis and a tide or like the cincture. So when you first do it, you're just like, have I ever like worn, worn vesture before? Cause like you watch priests do it a thousand times and then you do it and you're like, I forgot how to tie a knot. So yeah. it's a little easier now. That's in practice. Did you, did you get to chant the Easter vigil? I did. I got to chant the exalted. Wow. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was, uh, I was very excited. Um, cause it's, it's funny cause here at seminary, um, guys would, guys in like their last year would approach me cause I think singing part of the exalted is like for part of an exam, isn't it? Like yep. for, for the Cyprian's class, so they'd approach me cause I can read music. So I kind of plunk it out or find a key that was good for them, um, and help them out. So it was kind of cool, uh, doing it myself. That's awesome. That's really awesome. What, a, what an experience. Yeah. It's one of my favorite things to do. Um, we, we were chatting before we started recording, but I was, covering i'm now covering five different churches i can't really say parishes um because uh they're not all separate parishes but five churches that i'm running around um covering and so i was at um another parish for the easter vigil so uh, they don't have a deacon and i was the priest there so i got to chant the exalted it's one of my favorite things to do at the easter vigil so i was really excited to do that and then of course um i use the uh uh sequence for that we you would do in seminary the english and the latin so all week i've been doing it in latin just because i keep forgetting to print the english version and so the latin one's the only one i can find on my phone that's a decent version you know like the one we use at uh, saint vincent's so um i've been torturing the people with more latin and uh but i did the english one over the weekend which was a lot of fun i mean i don't think fun's the right word but it was, it was nice it was a good experience to do all that again so that's exciting for you. I'm excited to hear that. 
Now, Jesse, you've been busy too. I mean, you can't say that you haven't been busy. Of course, you got everybody ready for the Triduum at St. Jude, but then these last two nights, like, man, I don't know why you'd plan something the uh, bright week, you know, because I don't know, the last two days I have just slept as much as I possibly can just because I'm so exhausted. So you've been very busy. Well, it's, it's a, we do so much for Lent. And I, I wanted to do something for Easter. Like, this is the time we need to be celebrating. Yeah. And, you know, put those good habits into, into practice a little bit. So, yeah, we, we've been, we, we had our men's group, our dad's group, I'm sorry, our dad's group on Monday. And then we're showing the Chosen series in the church. Uh, we did that every, we started last night. That's every Tuesday. So uh, just trying to provide different opportunities for people where they feel comfortable. Um, so I want to, I want to do something special for Easter and uh, make that special for the parish. So that's smart. It's smart because you're right. We often um, hammer everything in Lent and then the 50 days of Easter, it's almost like a vacation. Um, I mean, like I get it as the priest, I'm exhausted, but yeah, it makes sense to do something during Easter because it is, uh, you know, during right now, during this week, when this is, this episode comes out, it's bright week and bright week being the holiest, like one of the holiest weeks of the year and is probably the holiest week of the year because we're celebrating Easter every single day. Um, not just, you know, like in Christmas tide, when we're celebrating, um, the Christmas season, we're celebrating Easter every single day in the octave of Easter and how beautiful that time is. So makes absolute sense. I give you a lot of credit because I don't think I have the energy to do it. Oh, <laughs> uh, definitely. It's, you know, it's something that we've been trying to, um, kind of rethink. It's look at this, you know, situation we're in and kind of rethink opportunities for ministry. Um, and that kind of, you know, with, you know, today's topic is too, I, I've been doing youth ministry for, uh, for years and, uh, we've always done, you know, we've, we've done different things, but, um, I think it's important that we kind of rethink, um, our ministries, uh, from a parish level, um, and also from a diocesan level, because, uh, there's opportunity for us, uh, we, we have to listen to what's going on. What do the people need? Um, and then how do we respond as a church? So, you know, with today's topic, we, um, we, we, we got this uh, really good survey by Springtide um, Research Institute. It's called the State of Religion and Young People. Um, so I, I wanted to kind of talk, talk on this a little bit tonight. I think this is a very poignant, not just to young people, but to all Catholics. So what we're experiencing, some of the church needs. Um, I sent this to, to both you guys. You both took a look at it. And, I, you know, just for everyone listening, I think there's a couple of points I want to hit tonight. Um, so overall, just kind of give an overview of this. Um, the, 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 the research found that there's an overall need for mentors um, yeah. in people's lives. Young people, old people, we all need some kind of uh, presence ministry. The second thing they, they talk about is um, many youth today, I think many people are uh, spiritual and they don't consider themselves religious anymore. So what's the church's response to that? Uh, it touches on the reality of COVID's impact on faith. Uh, most Catholics, most people have this sense of loneliness. Uh, they have a longing for deepness, but there's a loneliness that, that falls on them, especially when it comes to matters of faith. One of the things that really hit me hard was a, a, a lack of uh, or a loss of trust in religious institutions and in people. 
I think that is something that takes, as I tell kids on a personal level, it takes years to rebuild trust. But even for an institution, we have to rebuild trust. Um, and it, it is loss in trust in government and a lot of things, but the religious institution is definitely a big thing. There's a cultural shift, too, that we have to be aware of, um, a cultural shift in morality. So um, something like LGBTQ rights, um, the, the culture shift has changed. So we have to be aware of that with our young people. And finally, they call us to kind of the call for all this is this called relational authority. So if you have all these issues going on right now, the mentors, the loneliness, the um, lack of trust, how we go about fixing that is really putting good people in the lives of young people, people that they can trust. And again, they give us some some guidelines for that. So what did I just kind of start off what uh, Deacon AJ, what did you think about the article before we kind of jump in? Yeah, I, th I think the biggest thing was um, one of the things you mentioned was that people, and again, we hear it all the time, oh, I'm spiritual, I got religious. Yeah. Is people are trying to disassociate themselves from religion. But um, as I've learned, and as Father Andy knows, like there's a professor here in seminary that teaches history. And one of the first things he says is, you know, man is a religious creature. Like as humans, it's in our nature. Um, you know, we have to worship something that like, if we don't worship God, it's whatever is at the top of our priorities. So, and, and again, it goes back to saying like having a faith is like a rational thing. It makes us human. So I don't know. In, in engineering school, you know, I encountered atheists, you know, or scientists who said, oh, you know, I'm above religion. But no, I think there's a need for that. And I think, Jesse, to your point, these issues are springing from it. They say, oh, I'm spiritual, not religious. But then what does religion provide to you? Like mentors, trust, support, friendship. And it's kind of hard to find with like a do-it-yourself spirituality. I think honestly, a lot of people, I mean, we, we're seeing culture that does not, people are not being raised in the church. So the, they said like 71% of young people find themselves spiritual and have a longing for something religious. I thought that was interesting that they're, they're not being raised in the church. Um, and, but they're still longing for something. They realize that they have a, a calling to something religious. So I thought that was very interesting to read from that. You know, we grew up, I grew up, you know, being part of the church, being active in the church, having family in the church. So like AJ and I were talking about before, like it's, we know that we can always go back to the church, even if we go away. But what happens if you don't have that? Um, Father Andy, what, what, are your, what are your takes on that spiritual aspect? You know, it was interesting. Um, I've been on reddit a lot more lately in my life uh in just instead of social media like facebook or twitter or instagram reddit kind of has been the place and just today after reading this article i was on reddit and this young person posted um about how they weren't catholic and they really don't have a faith but they were um worried because they thought they should punish themselves because they broke a, a law by accident. They ran a red light by accident. And, and I said, well, you know, they were worried and they said, should I go to confession? But they weren't Catholic. And I said, you know, if you're baptized, it doesn't hurt. You can go to uh, 
you know, see a priest and talk with him. And maybe if you're ready, go to confession. And then he said, well, I'm not baptized, but I'm interested. I'm more interested in a spiritual life instead of a religious experience. And, and I don't, for me as a priest, I find it difficult to separate the two. I found it nearly impossible to separate the two because one plays into the other. And so hearing this person talk about that kind of still, it confuses me in a way. Like, I don't want to sound like I'm um, stupid or uh, don't understand these people's plight. I totally get it. Like, you don't want to follow the rules of a religion because it doesn't follow your lifestyle. But in a way, it's almost like, well, I, I don't understand why you wouldn't adhere to a religion if you are spiritual in a way because the spiritual finds its grounding in some sort of religion and then you as a person if you're just spiritual sooner or later you're going to put some sort of construct on it that then gives you the rules and the laws of some sort of religion i think that one of the issues here when people are saying i'm spiritual not religious is i i don't trust man i want to just trust god yeah i I think man's gonna screw things up but they're putting all their faith in themselves essentially Yes. And this is where like, you know, the the that's the the contradiction here. You know, where God comes and he says to the disciples, you know, come and follow me. He puts God puts all this responsibility on man and people are like, "Oh, uh, you know, either, you know, it could be just for for just reasons too. Someone could have been hurt by the church or their family been hurt by the church." Um there could even be a history there that we have to be, you know, sensitive to and understanding with. But I think even more so, you have people who have no religious experience, and they're re- what they're really saying is, "I don't want to trust anyone else but myself." I think that's get, kind of gets to the root of it. Maybe I don't know. Tiki AJ, what do you think about that? That is a good point. There's a a paradox there where they don't want to trust man or humanity because you know, we can err. But then they're like, "Oh, but I trust myself." I'm a good one. Uh, that that's really interesting. Um, I know, I I know people. They have a problem with like the authority of uh, that religion has. That kind of places on your life. Like, yeah, if you're gonna follow this, it's gonna place restrictions on your life. And um, I think Father Andy kind of mentioned is people want to shy away from that like reality or, or from the um the reality of like the moral aspect of religion. Like th- they want to be able to do what they want at all times and then they want this vague spirituality because any kind of lifestyle is going to put restrictions on what you can and can't do like you know i don't know you live in the u.s that's like you know monogamy like right you can't marry every woman in the world a cultural place restrictions on that but uh yeah so i you know i agree with father andy that it is kind of vague what they want in, in a spirituality without religion that's um that that corresponds also, and I want to kind of get into this part here with uh, mentors, having someone to answer to, having somebody to um, kind of look up to. I think yeah, uh, it said 20, 29% of young Catholics with no adult mentor feels like their life has no purpose or meaning. But those who at least had one, they, that, that purpose and, and meaning goes down to 4%. So a drastic drop, if they even have one person in their life, a mentor, somebody to maybe, you know, I, I often think about my own life. Like I grew up in the church. I love the church. 
Um, but I also didn't want to let my parents down. I didn't want to let my youth minister down. I didn't want to let my priest down. These are people I looked up to, the people I had a relationship with. I knew they cared about me. Um, so I wanted to live life with a purpose, live live a good life. Uh, what's your thoughts on on that aspect? Uh, Father Andy, why don't we start with you? You know, it, I, it's so true about the whole mentoring program in general. Um, I think it's a very interesting relationship to have as a priest, especially a young priest. Um, the elderly and even the middle-aged and even people my age and even people younger than me, everybody's coming to us as clergy for some sort of guidance, right? You know, and even other clergy coming to other clergy for guidance. And it's such an interesting place to find ourselves in. First, looking at ourselves as the mentor, right? Looking at ourselves as the mentor of building that relationship with our children, as well as our brothers um, in ministry. And having that relationship um, can be difficult, I think, because uh, a lot of the times I, um, not that it's like when I, when these questions come to me that it's going to make or break me as a priest, but I'm still having those same questions that these people are asking. I'm still wondering these same things that people are wondering, you know, let's just hit the, uh, let's just, you know, go for it right now. Yeah, the sexual abuse scandal is crazy and horrible, and it's still something that I wonder about and I still think about. But the positive thing for me, at least, is that I know in my heart and I know in my experience of the church and experience of the faith that the screw-ups of man, because let's just call it for what it is, the screw-ups of man isn't going to pull me out of the church because I know that the church is something bigger than man. And so... You know, it's that mentoring thing where we can talk with people and say with them, hey, you know what, I understand. Or maybe not saying I understand is, you know, uh, well, you didn't have the experience of Rabbi uh, Deacon AJ, but Rabbi always would say, you know, you can't say to someone that's suffering, I understand your suffering because we don't, no matter how much we try, we don't understand their suffering. But we can relate to it. We can empathize with someone's suffering and we can recognize the similarities in suffering. So yeah, I get it. I get it when people are suffering. But being able to walk that journey with them, I think is so important, not only for us as clergy and ministers in the faith, but also for those people that we minister to. I, I think that that speaks volumes to what so many kids, and at least the kids I work with, they're, they're longing for just some spiritual direction. Um, yeah. And maybe it's you know we go take a walk around the church parking lot um and we have you know we talk about a situation but i think you know i've always lived by the fact that they don't care about how much you know until they know how much you care um so that mentorship has to be authentic it has to be um real with them it can't be fake because teenagers will will sniff it out yeah, and they, they can tell that. So I mean, to me, that's what I grew up with. I had that luxury. That's why I tried to provide in our ministry. But I, I think overall, it is somewhat lacking. Yeah, um, we don't. We're not putting good people in lives of our young people for them to look up to. And if you know, and there are a few cases, unfortunately, that would that gone away. Yeah. And so, that, how do you come back from that? How do you? How do you fix that mentor that that role of mentorship 
when it's been damaged or not not even present. Uh, Deacon AJ, what do you think about that? I was thinking about um, my mentors growing up, um, especially ones that were like religious in nature. And I remember um, I had there was a priest who would come to my high school for confessions. He wasn't our chaplain, but he would always show up for like those like uh, days in Advent or Lent, Lent when the whole school would go, even just on the Wednesdays. And I made a point to always go when he was there. And I realized the power in having a consistent confessor because sure, he knew the things that my sins I struggled with on a regular basis, but also I felt known and loved because uh, he just, he exuded that in the sacrament. But then also that like he knew who I was and like what I really struggled with. So I felt, and looking back on that, I can really, um, I'm really glad and thankful for that support because it really empowered me as, you know, a high schooler uh, to, you know, live the faith, but just that someone loved me no matter what, like this priest, this guy is going to hear the worst that I have to give. Like not the good things I did in the past, you know, month, all the terrible things, but he still showed that love and support and care. Um, which often, which obviously in sacrament is like, that's the love and mercy of God. But I think when you're growing up, that is very important to have a mentor that, you know, sees and knows your mistakes. And it's like, that's okay. You know, now when kids are just pushed very hard to perform and everything that even when they fail, like, no, like you're, you're, you're still loved, like very much and supported. So I can, I can see where um, not having a mentor in your life can kind of be a real tragedy. Yeah. I um I like this research because it's got the qualitative, but also has the quantitative information in there. I want to read this to you. This, this, this girl, Sophie, she wrote, I kind of want your input on what, what she's saying here. So this is her statement that she wrote. She said, I believe in God, but I am not very faith driven. I do not think about religion very often. I don't go to church. Faith is not, unfortunately, a big part of my life. A lot of people get their fulfillment, and that is meaningfulness through faith. And since it's not a huge part of my life, maybe I, I'm trying to get it in other ways by helping others. Sometimes I think it would be I would be happier if I was more religious. But I think as long as I am a good person, helping people when I can, that's really my idea of religion. What do you take on that? It's she. I I I hear a conflicting voice in there personally. But what what do you guys what do you guys hear on that? She's twenty three years old. Her name's Sophie. I think just a lot of um, like what the church would teach about um social ethics, like you know um you know like giving giving of what you can to the poor and the less fortunate, putting others' needs before yourselves. Like that's that's very big in church teaching. You know Christ. Uh, you know, just preach that all the time to um, provide and care for the poor, especially those who have no one to care for them, like the widows, the poor, the orphans. Um, but I think just reducing religion to like the social ethic aspect is not doing it justice. Um, like there's, th there's, there's like a bigger part there. And if Sophie's looking for a community, like she finds a community in helping people, uh, well, the church like is community like itself. So I think, I think what people look for outside the church it's they're getting like glimpses or shadows of what, what the church uh could provide them it, it just everything about this and not just this situation um you know i don't want to uh it's pelagian everything about this screams pelagius to me right you know so like all i hear is 
well, I do this good work because then I'm going to get into something better later, right? So I'm going to, I'm going to suffer now so I can do something, get something better later. Like I totally get that. That totally makes sense to me when dealing with this situation. I totally understand and I can hear it even sometimes in my own life. Like, yeah, yeah, we got to suffer. And then when we suffer, something better is coming later. But like we don't suffer to earn it. We suffer to connect to and unite ourselves to the suffering of Christ. And so that, there's the difference in that from Pelagius and the heresy that's that. You know, it's just everything about this, everything that all these these people say between Sophie in this article and I think later on um, Cassia, who's 14. Um, but the problem is, is every single person that's interviewed for the most part is Pelagian because they're earning something because dang it, I'm going to go out into this world and make it a better place. So that way, when I die, I go to heaven. Like, well, but that's, that's not the point here. That's not the point I, I, of our religion. Right. And I, I think that it shows a, a longing for something. Yeah. But I don't think there, I think the, the, to me, it's, we need to catechize better. Absolutely. That's, that's what it comes down to. The, both of you are saying this, that these people have this longing, but they don't know really what the church is. What, what did Fulton Sheen say? He says, nobody truly hates the, what the church really is or something like yeah. that, right? They, they, yeah. they hate the church what they think it is. Right. And that, that, that concept, I think we got to do a better job of catechizing people, the, the pews, the, how beautiful our church is. Um, I, you know, even my, myself, I'm guilty in this because years of youth ministry, we, I, I, I've always, kids have found their faith in mission trips and, and powerful things. And I, I think somewhat in some instances I have failed to, you know, yeah, I provide uh, benediction and adoration form and things like that. But overall, I don't think I've truly shown the kids over my years, how beautiful our church really is in many aspects. Um, and I think that for us, you know, we have a response of what are we doing for our kids? What are we doing for um, people of, you know, to gain faith, to see that they have this longing, this need? That's And this is not just kids, too. This is all adults yeah. and everybody here. Because um, you hear that story over and over. I, I'll help out at the food pantry. That's a need. I, I really need to do that. Um, so how does that correspond? I mean, that's like AJ, like AJ said, it's, it's part of the faith, but there's so much more. Um, yeah, Bishop Barron gave a, um, an address several years ago to the uh, American bishops, and it was about the evangelization of young people. And I remember watching the video for our class, um, and Bishop Barron had three things that would bring young people back, uh, one of which I forgot, but one is beauty, mm -hmm. right? Because that's like pretty, that's pretty transcendent, like, walking to a beautiful church, you know, something's there. But the other was like um, the social work the church does because people will say, well, I don't need the church to help the poor. But then maybe to Sophie's point, we can use that to bring these people in, say, hey, like our church has a need. Would you know, help out at a food pantry or there's like a diocesan need. Um, but I just remember Bishop Barron saying very specifically, we can use that to bring them back in. Right. So the three things that he was talking about, and I'm glad you brought this up because I was going to bring it up as well, is um, – Beauty, truth, and reason. And when he's talking about reason is when he's talking about the reasoning of going and doing the good works. So, you know, what what is really going to bring the people in isn't actually going to be um, the truth. 
because the truth is not in this day and age is not objective. It is subjective. Your truth doesn't match my truth. And the reason isn't going to bring people back in either. Just because you do the good works doesn't make people come back to church. We've seen that over and over again. How many times you see in parishes that are dying, oh, we're just going to keep doing outreach ministry, outreach ministry. That's what's going to bring us in. And that's what's going to bring everybody back to the church. But in reality, what Bishop Barron says to the bishops and what he says to all of us, and if you watch his um, uh, videos on the mass, which are excellent, he talks in depth about this, is the thing that's going to bring people back to church is the beauty. And, you know, he talks about in his uh, little mini course on the mass is he talks about the smells and the bells and the beautiful artwork and the beautiful vestments and the beautiful liturgies. And I'm not trying to say that the externals is what's going to bring them in, but there has to be something deeper, right? Because these mega churches only last a short time. Why? Because the truth and the reason is not there, only the beauty. Now, the beauty is what's going to bring them in the door, but it's the truth and the reason that is shown forth from the beauty that will keep people in the churches. And that now that's Bishop Robert Barron's argument, and that's what he says. But um, I, I kind of agree with that. I kind of agree with that because young people, from my experience, aren't looking for um, – clap happy masses they're not looking for um masses where everybody's dancing around or waving their hands in the air what they're looking for is a beautiful liturgy that encapsulates the truth that calls them to do good works right and it has to be all three it does but we have to start with a beautiful liturgy because what that also means is we can't bore our people to death if they come to Mass and they only receive a theological dissertation, for some that might be great, for vast majority that's going to bore them to tears. What we need to do is take the Scripture, take the Lord's works, and put them into daily life that allows the people to connect with it and have a, as we've said over and over again as a church in the recent years, and I know we've said this many times even on our podcast, we have to be able to take that into that relationship with Christ, that beautiful relationship with Christ as a global community and relate it into a personal, intimate relationship with Christ that is going to continue to touch people's lives, that calls them back to that beautiful worship that then allows them to recognize where Christ is calling them in their daily lives. And I think that's what we need to do is we need to refocus on our liturgy, not worrying about um, the, the banners that we want to hang up in church, but actually doing what the church has asked us to do. I think that's where we're going to see um, a lot of people return to their faith and, and start preaching the truth. I just read that uh, the church grew, the church grew when it was much it was it was less it was different different from this world yeah you know i think we're always trying to make the church like the world right that's not that's not what it is um, if the mass yeah. is our highest form of worship which it is and the mass is an entrance into the gates of heaven then we need to stop trying to make it look like a mall display and rather what it truly is 
and it's the heavenly worship of God. It's the eternal wedding feast, the eternal banquet of the Lamb. And so we have to stop um, trying to make it into what it's not. Good stuff. I don't know how you come back. That's well said. Well, I mean, it, it, I might just be, maybe it's me just being a little irritated yeah. or whatever, but it's just, it's in my thought process and in, in what I've been watching and, and the churches that really, you know, when they say, oh yeah, we're going to get all the young people back in church because we're going to do this one thing. Mm-hmm. But, but that, that one thing, you know, it's like, it's pointless because you're putting all your energy into something that the young people don't care about. What they want is authenticity and they want um, the truth being proclaimed in the beauty of our faith, because our faith is beautiful. It's an extremely beautiful thing. Yeah, I thought you were gonna say, I thought you were gonna say, uh, Father Andy is like, we have the one thing to bring them back. We have a tambourine, like, or like well, guitar mass. you know, that is exactly what was going through my mind. Guitar mass, praise band, tambourines, making sure that everybody has to has the ability to participate in a special way. That's not what the kids want. And as much as I enjoy that, as much as I enjoy the the praise and worship music, and I love the praise and worship masses, and I love that kind of stuff, that is not what the youth want. And I, people are going to hate me for saying that. No, no it's that's your well, passion, and that 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 is something. Once again, that's answering the call. I mean, I remember when I was a young man. Uh, even, you know, studying to be a priest in seminary, and as all seminarians think that they know everything, and uh, get caught up into, um, get caught up into the liturgy, and then we think we know it better than the priest, and I was having a sense of, you know, I, it was taking me out of the Mass, it was making Mass all function, and my good friend, uh, now Father Will Rupp, of the Byzantine Rite, he took me to his uh, liturgy, and I, it, put beauty back into it yeah. for me. I needed that. I needed that in my stage of life to stop focusing on all the, the, the nooks and crannies and everything. I needed this to get back to the beauty. So I know what you're saying. There's a lot of truth to that. Um, I, I don't think it's, uh, we don't want to cheapen the mass. No, and I think that's what we, we have done. We want to show them the, 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 the long history, the beautiful, prayers that go as old as you know justin martyr back to 100 yeah. ad i mean that's that is true beauty that we need to hold on to and I, we are not teaching that we're not that we're not praying that you know and and not real quick aj and uh, i'll let you say what you want to say but uh, i the one argument that i have heard against that is well um first off that's just going to make the mass longer well you know honestly on holy thursday i chanted everything and not to like, I'm not saying this to pat myself on the back, but I chanted every part of the liturgy that I could. And I used incense and we had beautiful music and we did beautiful things with the mass. And it wasn't any longer than a normal Sunday mass, 45 minutes at most, right? And and I don't think that, and that was with using the Roman canon, Eucharistic prayer one. I don't think that by doing something beautiful, it adds more time. I think it just takes it to that next level. And so the argument of, well, it's, it's going over time is not a good one either because as Christ said to his disciples, could you not spend one hour awake with me? Anyways, I interrupt you, AJ. <laughs> no, um, 
you reminded me of something I watched. Um, it ties into a bigger point of just like recognizing what the needs of the youth are, like actually listening, like, what do you want? And not thinking like, Oh yeah, we, we're going to bring a tambourine. That's right. That's what I think is going to work. Um, I remember watching uh, Archbishop sample of ugh, he's somewhere on the West coast. I forget. Yeah. Um, but he had a uh, pontifical high mass yes. at the uh, Basilica shrine, like all Latin old, right. Um, full complement of servers and ministers and a voiceover, right? Beautiful uh, videography. And in his homily, he mentions how his brother bishops can't understand why, how, like the how low the average age of the people there was. It was like, it's like 35 is the average age. Yeah, yeah. They were saying that, how can a generation that did not grow up with it, why are they attracted to it? I think it goes back to like, one of my points I was making is, there's like something in us that it's like always been there. Yeah. Like, especially now in a world where, things are being stripped of meaning. We have a desire for meaningfulness and what has meaning this transcendent, beautiful thing. Yeah. Um, so I think that kind of uh, sparked my memory when father Andy was talking about um, liturgy and the beauty of it drawing people in is it's not a making it closer to earth as you might think it is like, no more guitars or like whatever. No, it's actually kind of the opposite. It's um, something more transcendent because people are lonely. They aren't feeling fulfilled um they aren't having meaningful relationships but then like this transcendent god comes in its liturgy to them personally you know as we can say like through the eucharist too it comes and touches you specifically like your life so i think that was um early when i when i watched that uh video of that mass and heard his homily i, thought, I found that very interesting is that is you know for people that didn't grow up with it or have exposure to it they're still attracted to it um and even more in a world that's kind of, uh, you could say, falling apart, not more yeah. than it is in any other age, but we can kind of relax and know this like transcendent thing has always been there and like will always be there. And that's the mass. Archbishop Sample, Sample is in Portland, Oregon, which I think is a little bit ironic. I mean, you know, he's he's facing a very disrupted city and town and all the things that I think we are numerous things that he's dealing with uh, from this document uh, that we read is going on in his diocese and his archdiocese on top of that too. So it's, it's a very sad situation all the way around. So, but I agree with Archbishop sample sample and I agree with you, AJ and not to um, take control of this, but just kind of want to working it towards this last article that you brought to our attention um, and it is the one about, oh, I need my glasses. Uh, let's see here. The U S church membership falls below majority for first time. And I first came across this Jesse before you brought it up for our topic tonight as well is, um, a lot of the priests that I do follow on social media, um, have made comments about this because everybody and rightfully so is kind of depressed and upset about it because our numbers have declined so much. And the interesting thing that I saw in this article is that, um, yes, it happened a, an extreme amount in the last year, but it's been a pretty steady decline for a while. You know, we're looking back from 2000 until now, it's very steady decline. And this last year kind of pushed us over the edge, but that totally makes sense to me. It totally makes sense to me 
um, looking at the world around us, specifically, uh, obviously, since the article is only about the United States, looking at what has gone on in the last year, there are two very militant camps that I think we're up against right now. And I experienced it recently as well when someone came up to me and said, oh, all these people, they're all sheeple. I knew exactly what they were talking about. It's the fact that wearing a mask, simple thing of wearing a mask. And so you have this militant camp of the church should not have cowtailed to the um, the public sector when they told us to shut down. And so we should have stayed open and said, screw you to the governors and the health people and saying, you know, we're going to stay open and we're going to just keep doing what we're doing. And then you have the other side that says, well, you didn't do enough. You didn't do enough. And you shouldn't be open now. And look at you gathering in your churches. You're causing the spread. And so you have these two militant groups who have just decided to walk away from it all. And it's really a sad situation. So I can understand why people all of a sudden in the last year have taken a real nosedive and said, no, I have no affiliation with any church because political reasons X, Y, and Z. No, I think I – think, um... You know, referring to the uh, the Gallup poll here, I think we have a major issue of of, of trust though too. Though, yeah. I think it's also I think it's also you know I have a lot of people who give money to the church and say I do not want a dime to this to go to the diocese or I don't want a dime yep. of this to go to the lawyers, and so there those people are dropping off more and more. Um, who once at one time believed in the church, believed and trusted what we do as an institution. I think that's a big issue, though, with it, it, how, regaining trust is what's going to help bring people back um, to the beauty and everything we've been talking about today. Uh, but how do you how do you get how do you build that trust again? I don't. That, that's a that's a that's a hard question. You know, uh, real quick, the thing that I always say when people start to worry about this is, and, and I think it is something that we need to pay attention to. And I, I don't think that by this statement, it automatically means we have nothing to worry about. But I think from reading this, that this has been something obviously on the mind of our um, former Holy Father for a very long time, because back in 1969, which remind me, uh, let's see, our real decline started in about 69 70 so between 45 and uh, 70 it was minor but what does uh former pope uh um benedict the 16th say he says the church will no longer be able to inhabit many of the edifices she built in prosperity as the number of her adherents diminishes she will lose many of her social privileges as a small society, the church will make much bigger demands on the initiative of her individual members. It will be hard going for the church, for the process of crystallization and clarification will cost her much valuable energy. It will make her poor and cause her to become the church of the meek. The process will be long and wearisome, as was the road from false progressivism on the eve of the French Revolution, when a bishop might be thought smart if he, was made, if he made fun of dogmas and even insinuated that the existence of God was by no means certain. But when the trial of this great sifting has passed, 
A great power will flow from a more spiritualized and simplified church. Men in a uh, totally planned world will find themselves unspeakably lonely. If they have completely lost sight of God, they will feel the whole horror of their poverty. Then they will discover the little flock of believers as something wholly new. They will discover it as a hope that is meant for them, an answer for which they have always been searching in secret. And so it seems certain to me. This is at the time Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger, uh, then Benedict XVI, um, that the church is facing very hard times. The real crisis has scarcely begun. We have to count on terrific upheavals. But I am equally certain about what will remain at the end, not the church of the political cult, which is dead already, but the church of faith. She may well no longer be the dormant, dominant social power to the extent that she was until recently, but she will enjoy a fresh blossoming and be seen as man's home, where he will find life and hope beyond death. You know, I... I read that quote, and it's a long one, but for me, I think that really outlines exactly what's happening. And I don't think I don't see this in a bad way. Uh, what I see this is is an opportunity for, and I'm going to steal a political term that has been. There's a lot of um, um, conspiracy theories against, but this is time for the great reset. You know, you've heard this. I don't know if you've heard this conspiracy theory about the Great Reset that there's these political leaders that are going to kill off three quarters of the world's population, and and we're going to have this new political reset. Well, no, no, no. This is going to be the Great Reset. And what do I mean by the Great Reset? Is our faith, if it's not important to us now, has to become important to us. And those who have the strongest faith will be the ones that remain. And so I have expected my entire life to see a smaller church, a church that will be um, uh, a church of more faithful followers. And so it means to us as the faithful remnant, the Amsegula, stealing a phrase that we hear from Father Patrick, Amsegula, the chosen people, God's specifically chosen people, that we have to continue the faith. And so that might mean persecution. That might mean the pain and the suffering of losing our brothers and sisters. That might mean losing our buildings. But the buildings are not what makes up the church. It's the faith of the believers that makes up the church. And so even in losing people who claim a religion, I don't I, it does not make me worried that we will see an end to the Catholic faith because there have been so many bad popes throughout all of history. What is this going what is going to change now? Like the church could have been killed off centuries ago. Why now? Why now would it matter? Why now would it change? I agree. I, I, I think it echoes a lot. Um, and it's good to look at uh, the t history, right? Look at history. Yeah. Uh, oftentimes we get narrow-minded and our sights are on what's going on right now, but I think there's a lot to learn there. And, and I remember reading um, Pope Benedict said that the, the church that we know will become much smaller and those who call themselves Catholic will be Catholic. Yeah. I think that kind of summarizes what we're, what we're experiencing here. Uh, Deacon H, any, any words from you on the, before we end here? Um, his words 
Pope Benedict's words are uh, very prophetic. I mean, he could have written that like now, and I'd be like, oh yeah, that makes sense. I'd written it back then. Um, it's interesting because um, when Father Andy was reading that, I thought those are some scary things that I'm going to be born into, uh, you know, in a year's time when I'm ordained a priest. But yeah, there's a there's a bigger reality, you know, when when Christ told Peter that the gates of the neverworld, netherworld would not prevail against him, he was he was right. Like I trust yeah. that. Um, so, but it makes sense that you know the 50s and 60s and 70s, there was a great springtime for the church. Like maybe that wasn't the norm. Uh, mm -hmm. So, um, you know, a decrease in numbers isn't shouldn't paralyze us. It should concern yeah. us because we want to gather all God's flock into one as his ministers, but um, to know that we're tasked with a purpose and that the church is bigger than, you know, any given one time and place. And, and, and to end, I, I think during the darkest times, God sends the greatest saints. I think yeah. that needs to be our hope. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, lot of very intense topics tonight, but very important conversation that we have. And so I hope that if anybody out there is listening, give us your feedback. Let us know what you're thinking, what you thought of tonight's episode. Um, what, what do you think about this whole situation? What do you think about the fact that um, the church is seeing a smaller attendance? And even though now we are coming back to our churches more fully um, with people coming back into our buildings, um, you know, I think that might be slightly deceiving at times because we're doing every other pew. So it might look like the church is full, but just wait till we can go back to using every single pew. We won't, I do not think we will see it as full. But with that being said, um, what do you think about this? What do you think about the fact that um, we are in a very interesting place? So give us, a, a, send us an email on our website. There's a nice form that I have made sure is working by the time this episode goes out. So I actually need to probably go do that. Um, but send us an email. Let us know what you think. Leave a comment on social media. Um, just we ask that you be respectful and you uh, share, you know, when, when someone has an opinion, it's okay for them to have an opinion that differs from you. So um, let us continue to build this together. Do me a favor, everybody. I want you by next week, share this part now. Uh, Jesse, you you are exempt from this because you do such great work. Um, but share this podcast with at least one or two people by next week, by the time our next episode comes out. So if you share that, maybe they'll share it, and then it'll just keep going around and around and around. And you know, then I can continue to hear from people. Yeah, I heard about this Father Andy guy talking on the internet. Like, yeah, I know, I know that loser. Sadly, I see him in the mirror every day. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Um, catch us on EncounterMercy.com and all of the social media platforms that we are on. Uh, Facebook is really where we're updating. Thank you, Jesse, for doing that. Um, but do let us know what you think, and you can find us anywhere that you find podcasts. Thank you for listening, and thank you guys for this rousing topic tonight, even though I was very tired thinking about it. Um, it's a very good one for us to think about as clergy and uh leaders in our church bye all right take care good job guys God bless you guys take care